The Prophet by Khalil Gibran is my favorite collection of poetry. And the poem we just read on joy and sorrow might very well be my favorite poem. You may have heard Gibran's words before. Elsewhere in these pages, we get the words so often used in child dedications. Your children are not your children. They are sons and daughters of life's longing for itself. Perhaps my favorite thing about this volume is that these 26 poems are framed by a narrative. The eponymous prophet, Al-Mustafa, has spent the last 12 years away from the isle of his birth in a city called Orphalis, when from atop a mountain, he spots a ship from his native land come to take him home. Each poem is a different piece of departing wisdom he dispenses as he journeys down towards the port. In the opening narrative, we get both his thoughts about and the reaction of the people to his departure. And the priests and priestesses said to him, let not the waves of the sea separate us now, and the years you have spent in our midst become a memory. You have walked among us a spirit, and your shadow has been a light upon our faces. Much have we loved you, but speechless was our love, and with veils it has been veiled. Yet now it cries aloud unto you, and would stand revealed before you. And ever has it been that love knows not its own depth until the hour of separation. Or you might say in more modern, slightly less flowery language, don't it always seem to go that you don't know what you've got till it's gone. On joy and sorrow seems to me to strike at the heart of the narrative. In the same introductory passage I just read from, Al-Mustafa asks himself, how shall I go in peace and without sorrow? Nay, not without a wound in the spirit shall I leave this city. And yet he then says, long were the days of pain I have spent within its walls. And long were the nights of aloneness. And who can depart from their pain and their aloneness without regret? So even while he made a home in Orphalis, he ached for the land of his birth. And even while he scattered the fragments of the spirit in those streets, he longed for more familiar paths. Here again, the words of the poem I just read. When you are joyous, look into your heart, and you shall find it is only that which has given you sorrow, which is giving you joy. When you are sorrowful, look again in your heart, and you shall see that in truth, you are weeping for that which has been your delight. Almost every congregation I've ever been a part of has in some way carved out time each week to uplift the joys and the sorrows of the community. And as I've watched this beautiful ritual 
that you have of lighting candles, I began to wonder about how those of you who have called this place your spiritual home for a long while now have experienced this practice. And specifically, I wondered how many of you have, for someone or something in your life, lit both candles of joy and sorrow. How many of you have lit a candle to celebrate a marriage and mourn a divorce? How many of you have prayed for a loved one's healing, then later celebrated their recovery or mourned their passing? Maybe both. How many of you have shared some cause close to your heart in front of this congregation or celebrated some small measure of progress achieved? More than any other pair of emotions, we seem to speak of joy and sorrow in the same breath. And Khalil Gibran is far from the first person to name this in some way. The author of Ecclesiastes writes that there is a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, and that sorrow is better than laughter, for by sadness of countenance the heart is made glad. Tradition holds that this text, almost nihilistic at times, and the Song of Songs, the ecstatic, erotic love poem placed directly next to it in both Hebrew and Christian Bibles, are written by the same person, King Solomon. The Sufi mystic Rumi writes that sorrow prepares you for joy. It violently sweeps out your house so that new joy can find a space to enter. It shakes the yellow leaves off the bough of your heart so that fresh green leaves can grow there. And St. Paul, in his letter to the Romans, directs the church there to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. It makes me wonder if they lit candles. But that's probably not the important part. What is important, I think, is that Paul is establishing something communal. In this respect, I've come to see the sharing of joys and sorrows as something of a sacrament. It is, after all, a kind of confession, not of wrongdoings, but of deep, raw emotion. It is a radical act of trust and vulnerability on the part of the speaker, and an equally radical promise of care and empathy on the part of the congregation, one we must strive to honor and treat with due seriousness. And it is a visible manifestation of what Jesus would have called the kingdom of heaven and what King would have called the beloved community. And indeed, such a thing can only be born out of abiding in love. Gibran, unsurprisingly perhaps, also has a lot to say about love. But if in your fear you would seek only love's peace and love's pleasure, then it is better for you to cover your nakedness and pass out of love's threshing floor into the seasonless world where you shall laugh but not all of your laughter, and weep, 
but not all of your tears. Instead, he says that if our love desires anything at all, it should be that we know the pain of too much tenderness, to be wounded by our own understanding of love, and to bleed willingly and joyfully. Love can be defined many ways. That's a sermon in and of itself, but one that has resonated strongly with me is consenting to suffer. That, you might be aware, is the root of the word compassion. Calm meaning with and passion meaning to suffer. Love is the opposite of a fairy tale ending. Living happily ever after is not only real, unrealistic, it is a life half-lived. Grief is perhaps the greatest proof of a life lived in love. Not one of you, I dare say, would trade away the love you have felt and the love you have given if it meant not having to grieve it someday. As Tennyson put it so famously, "'Tis better to have loved and lost." than to have never loved at all. And I think that's what Gabran was getting at in the closing words of the poem. Verily, you are suspended like scales between your sorrow and your joy. Only when you are empty are you at standstill and balanced. When the treasure keeper lifts you to weigh his gold and his silver, needs must your joy or sorrow rise or fall. I think it's the dance between the two which makes life worth living, which allows you to feel them all in their entirety. Without both joy and sorrow, we are just kind of stagnant. Now, I admit my message today has been quite melancholic, to put it mildly. And while that suits me just fine, I resonate strongly with what Reverend Frank said a few weeks ago about UUs and our sunny optimism. I know that is not necessarily what everyone needs to hear today. In any given congregation, on any given day, there are both the comfortable and the afflicted. And if we are doing our job well, no one ends where they started. To be clear though, I'm not making the case for physical or emotional self-flagellation. I don't want anyone to make themselves miserable in pursuit of spiritual growth. Because there's enough sorrow to go around already. And some of you, I know, have had the lion's share of it. To any of you who are hurting today, to those of you for whom sorrow has been a closer companion, I pray that this may be a safe place for you to bring your pain. And if it has not been, then it is to our great shame. I ask that you hold us accountable so that we might make it so, if not for you, then for the next person who comes to us looking for help. If to those of you more acquainted with joy, I pray that you are willing to receive sorrow 
to let it carve into your being, to hold it for those who can hold no more. And when you then are in your own sorrow, I pray that you can then entrust it to others, knowing that they too are willing to receive it. This is how sorrow turns to joy, slowly, often achingly so, as we engage in the sacrament of living fully together. Amen.